Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Gary. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Dalton, recently you had a bit of a shower thought about the slightly doom and gloom times in which we live with tech layoffs and everything and how that ultimately might have a silver lining. So, I think we all know that software engineering is not a real engineering discipline for the majority of workers in the craft. I say this is one of them. So, layoffs driving a bunch of tribal wisdom out of that. Companies are getting desperate to monetize or get rid of as much data as possible. And every fad that we seem to come across right now is more expensive than the previous one. I think we're going to end up in a situation where companies just start deleting people's shit. And you either get on the paid plan or you download all your data, but that's going to cause the company's servers to go down. And people are just going to lose things. And I think that means that it's going to be good for self-hosted solutions, open source, maybe not directly Linux, but at least software that runs on Linux, getting more popular with people who are just a little bit techie, but maybe, maybe they were running a Mac before, you know? So you're not talking about the likes of iCloud, Google Photos, Google Drive, the big players, because they are not going to drop the ball on this. At least I bloody well hope not. Presumably you're talking about the slightly smaller players here. Maybe Google and Apple will at least jack the prices up, but I don't think they'll actually lose a bunch of data unless they get attacked or something. Yeah, because that was my initial thought on this, right, was most people, they see the your 5 gig of free iCloud has filled up and they just go, oh, I'll pay 79p a month. I don't care. So, yeah, I don't think that those people are going to be too affected by this if it goes up from 79 to 99p a month, right? Most people aren't going to care. They're just going to click, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's exactly what my mum did because her phone filled up. It told her, you haven't got any space. She asked my brother, what do I do? And he said, yeah, I'll just pay the 79p. And so she did, and now she's happy. Yep, and that's exactly what I think most people would do. But like you say, I don't think we're talking about my mum or indeed iCloud, right? Like They might put the price up a bit, but even if they put the 79p a month up by 20%, that's still less than a quid a month. Well, shit, that kind of shot down my whole argument. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we bleed out a bit more to what's been happening recently, the triple about turn that Docker did, for example, in the last few weeks, I think even in the last week, they've released three separate press releases all over the same thing. There are petabytes of Docker images that they're hosting with no plan on how to actually make that sustainable. But it's also become intrinsically linked to everything. And when people started pointing out the flaws in what they were proposing to do, they've completely backed down for now. But surely, like, that is going to happen. And a lot of people have said, like, they can apologize or they're like, this week has been enough for me to move to alternative hosting for this stuff, which, let's be fair, you should maybe have been thinking about anyway if you were getting towards the higher professional levels of this stuff. But I do think there's that level where lots and lots of stuff is just being spaffed into the cloud (laughs) repeatedly without a thought. And then suddenly, with the financial landscape we've had as well, you're right, Dalton, people are going to start turning around and going, oh shit, this is really expensive. How do we stop this train? But when they try and do it, like Curl had its birthday 
coincidentally in the last fortnight. And the maintainer of Curl turned around and said, how does this work if you, like, we can't afford, because no one wants to actually pay to build on the back of Curl, but puts it in everything. We can't afford to pay for this, for having an official Docker container hosted. That mess, I think you're right, is just over the hill. And yeah, people are going to end up losing stuff because the strategy is poor. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where I land with this. So there are a lot of services that I use, right, that are clearly free for people like us because they want us to go and adopt them in the workplace. So Cloudflare, for example, is an excellent example of this, where you get the free DNS, you get the free DDoS protection, you get the free single sign-on stuff. And the hope, I would assume, is kind of much like Ubuntu was back in the day, right? You use it at home, you go to work and you say, I've been using this Cloudflare thing at home for all of my single sign-on, for all of my DNS, and it's great. Why don't we just use it here? But I think that bubble bursts quite quickly when you have large communities of self-hosters and tinkerers trying to use those services. And I think, like with Docker, they took away free builds for images a few years ago. I used to use the hell out of that. I did a git push, it did a Docker build, and then the thing was in my Docker Hub account. That stuff went away. That was no big deal. But when it's more core pieces of infrastructure that you're given for free right now, but it's not necessarily sustainable, I think that stuff does start getting hit. But Cloudflare aren't the only company who uses that business model, and I think it does make sense. If you do have a free tier that everyone can use and get hooked on, ultimately enough people will rely on it to the point where they want to use it at work at a larger scale and have to pay for it. Yeah, I think it's about setting the ground rules and the tiers early on. I think the mistake that often happens is it kind of rolls on too much. And I think where Docker have been bitten is they really underestimated how this would just be slamming the brakes on. And all the points and questions that were raised that they didn't really have answers to were very, very valid. And they just had to about face. But I think if you structure it well enough and you give just enough of a taste for a functional product that a lot of people can use without worrying too much about hitting those limits, but the people that are using it in some kind of approaching professional or corporate fashion end up having to pay, it can work. But I do think there's been quite a lot of uh, examples where it's kind of come a bit later and then there's a panic where they're looking at balance sheets and going, shit, we need to monetize this. But they didn't actually have a strategy for it coherently. Yeah, it's got to be sustainable, right? Like clearly, but with the example I used for Docker builds, giving everyone the compute to build their Docker containers for free isn't sustainable forever, right? Servers are expensive. But the likelihood of my personal website getting DDoSed, probably not quite as much. Say, that's not such a bad one. I think on the flip side of that, like you said, Dalton, maybe this is a positive time and gives a lot of opportunity for open source projects for things like photo syncing, for example, or things like communication, collaboration, and all the rest of it. Because if people do genuinely start getting burned, and those are people like us that I'm thinking of, buy things like G Suite or buy things like Zoom free tier or whatever, Maybe they will look to self-host stuff and maybe there is a real opportunity there for some of these products to really improve and step up their game. 
But I fear that it may end up in that situation Chris mentioned, like with Curl, where those people are just going to consume those products and not necessarily contribute back. Well, what are we all staring at right now? A window in a browser with Jitsi. And why are we staring at that? Because we used to use Google Meet, but then they said you can only have an hour and we just talk too much bullshit to uh, fit it into an hour, (laughs) even though the shows are really short. (laughs) And so we look for something else and we found Jitsi. And yeah, okay, this isn't self-hosted. We're using just meet.jit.si. But that has at times not been perfect, which is fine because it's an open source project that are hosting it for free and everything. And we are seriously, well, Jim from Two and a Half Admins is seriously considering self-hosting Jitsi. So I think, Dalton, you are basically right here. I think your thesis is correct, that it will drive at least the more technical people to self-host and to use open source solutions for things. And this does not even take into account the latest fad in technology, which is AI and machine learning, whatever you want to call it, language models. Everybody seems to be wanting to get into that. And I think that was kind of the inspiration somewhat, wasn't it? Like when you talked about how the latest fads get more expensive. And it is incredibly expensive to host something like ChatGPT. And Microsoft have got the billions to do it. Loads of other people are going to copy them. But how sustainable is it if your business model is come use our chatbot that requires incredible compute to do its thing? And then people get hooked into it, rely on it, and then suddenly, hang on, there's no business model there. And then they're just going to be shit out of luck. I guess ultimately it's a problem of startups should stop spending ludicrous amounts of money. I guess that's kind of the long and short of it is that people keep getting hooked by companies doing things that just straight up aren't sustainable from day one. They know that. And then when money isn't free anymore, it's, oh shit, what are we going to do now? How do you disrupt, though, if you don't just have loads of VC money to burn on shit? Well, I guess that depends on if you believe the disruption is a good thing, which I don't. I think it's a pile of burning shit. (laughs) So (laughs) there we go. But it's interesting you mentioned the language models, Joe, because just this week there has been a release of Llama and Alpaca, the Facebook language learning models, and you can run them locally. So you don't have to sign into OpenAI and give your phone number, which I wasn't keen on, like you do with ChatGPT or use Bing or whatever, you can download the models and there are various weights. I use the 7 billion one because it was smallest. And then you can spin it up. And the, the article I found that led me to this was actually running it on a Raspberry Pi 4. And I was like, this doesn't sound like a good idea. I started <laughs> scrolling through and uh, he brought up the uh, terminal. You can bring up an interactive terminal in a command line and gave it what is 21 plus 21? And then he said, it took two hours for it to come back with the (laughs) correct answer of 42 with all four arm cores at 100% load. If it takes two hours on a 10,000 pound Raspberry Pi, then what's going to be like on a normal computer? (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm lucky enough to have access to machines that are a lot more powerful than that. And you can, if you have the right machine, run it fairly well, but actually running it locally and watching it and watching the resource utilization, even for the 7 billion model, really brings home what you just said, Joe, and and what you said as well, Dalton. Like They're presenting this like this revolution that's really easy and everything. No, it's not. It is 
very difficult to do. And this particular model runs in CPU only, so it's not even using things like you know NVIDIA tensors and CUDA and stuff, which a lot of the AI stuff is using to accelerate that. So I just don't think that pattern is sustainable. I think what happens is they keep thrusting until the money runs out. Their disruption is d- destruction, and then the money runs out, and they're like, oh, we're all fucked now. Oh, well. I'll go and start another company in a different sector. (laughs) Their disruption is destruction. God damn, put that on a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Quick bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate it. If you want to join those people, you can go to linuxafterdark.net slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Late Night Linux. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at linuxafterdark.net. Let's do some feedback. We had an email in from John who says, I want to run Linux as a daily driver for work, but I have one caveat I just can't get around. I run MacOS for productivity because of one simple thing that Apple has absolutely nailed. Independent workspaces on each individual monitor in a multi-monitor setup. If I could duplicate that exact behavior on Linux, I'd switch in a second. But the best I can do is in Mint. I get one static workspace and one flippable one. Or all monitors change at once. It's just not good enough for my workflow. I'd love some advice on what distro to use. I'm not married to Mint, though it does have access to all the tools I'd need to use daily. And what window manager or desktop environment to install or how to configure it. So I don't have an answer for John. I can only offer what my experience is. I flip. I usually have my laptop and monitor connected up and when i flip workspaces everything flips but then i pin stuff so that it appears on every workspace when i flip around and i have four workspaces so that's four lots of two monitors and i literally couldn't get by without that my father-in-law detests workspaces and always asks me to turn them off on zubuntu but i can't live without them when i'm working because i'll have so much going on i categorize in my mind what's going on in each one and flip between them because some of them are ongoing processes like compilation or installing a lot of software in a run that I can sort of leave unattended and want to dip into. But when it comes to pinning and half pinning, I don't know. But you know, I'm Mr. Pipe and Slippers with Marte, so I haven't played with this across a lot of DEs. I don't know what anyone else has to say. On Ubuntu, I do the exact same thing as you, Chris, in GNOME. I have the setup where I have my built-in laptop monitor, and that generally has Slack and emails left open all the time static on it, so I can glance over at them. Then I use my primary external display to flip between workspaces. And on macOS, the feature that John says he likes is the first thing I disable because I cannot stand it. (laughs) (laughs) Only because there's a really annoying bug where when you move your mouse to the bottom of the screen, the dock appears on the active monitor, and I don't want that. I want it to stay where I left it. Well, like your father-in-law, it's the first thing I turn off on Zubuntu as well. I just can't get my head around workspaces. It just doesn't make sense to me. That's what I have a panel for and just minimize things and just have a bunch of stuff down there. I just I can't be doing with workspaces. So I used to be in the same camp as you, Joe, and I always assumed because it was I was too thick and I just did one thing at a time, but then that was it. I'd flip onto the next window and do the next thing until I got a 4K external monitor and now I have the quadrant tiling, and I can see everything at once. And then I feel like I have to flip away from those things because you end up with too much open to minimize. So what we're saying is, 
we have no idea how to help you, John. <laughs> but we do really like workspaces. <laughs> well, some of you do. Well, yeah, and also I thought that if we didn't have an answer, maybe someone listening would. So do send us an email, show at linuxafterdark.net, and we'll either forward it on or maybe talk about it in the future. Right, well, we better get out of here then. Remember, show at linuxafterdark.net if you want to send in your feedback. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later.